right. Hey there, adventurers. I'm Brittany. Today I have Jesse with me with On the Land Kennel. Uh, Jesse, you live, remi- remind me where you're, you're at. You're in Saskatchewan, right? Yeah. Hi, Brittany. So we are in Ontario, northwestern Ontario. And for the, for the listeners in the lower 48, we are pretty much about three hours north of International Falls in kind of Duluth area. Gotcha. Close, close to the Manitoba border and um, just kind of north of Thunder Bay in International Falls area. So, Jesse, you are a musher. Um, so why don't you tell us more about that? Why don't you tell us, like, how you started in mushing, maybe how many dogs you have. People are always shocked at how many dogs people have. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, let's start there, Brittany. So we have a, what's considered a small kennel for for distance racing and what we want to be doing and we have about 30 dogs in our kennel um, that's the adult dogs there's a there's a batch of puppies that I'm not including in those numbers so we have about 30 dogs right now and that allows us to have enough dogs to run two distance teams so two 12 dog teams for myself and my wife in the mid-distance races in the lower 48 and when I say 30 dogs that includes um retirees as well and so when you take when you when you take those retirees out of the mix there's only really about 25 racing dogs to pick from and so 25 dogs two 12 dog teams that leaves one kind of spare dog throughout the whole season and so it's a very small kennel to try to race what we're trying to do and even more so to try and do it at a competitive level which is something that we're trying to do as well so this year you ran the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon, and your wife Mary, she ran the 120 Bear Grease race. So, did Mary run like? Remind me, did she run like a team of yearlings for the 120, and you took yeah. like the A team? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So she she's been really enjoying running with the puppies, and I've been encouraging her to run the adults, and and she'll do that I'm sure when she's ready and wants to. Um, but so so she's running. She last year she, there was a group of five yearlings in our kennel. And so she was working with those five yearlings as well as a mix of veteran dogs. And she raced those dogs in the the 120, like you said, in January. So um, with, with Mary running puppies, I, I feel like running a team of puppies would be uh, a crazy shit show more than um, <laughs> more than like a, a team of veterans. But it sounds like she maybe prefers running the puppies. Yeah, well, there's something really special about working with young dogs. Right? Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the main things is 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 seeing the progression of these these animals with this natural drive uh, to see the progression to become these amazing superstar athletes, which I consider the sled dogs to be. Um, to see that progression from from wild puppy going on on free runs and, and and nature walks with you as a little little pup to this point where they're running in a 120 mile race or a 300 mile race. Mary ran a 300-mile race in February with that same yearling team and, and, and finished. Um, to see that progression is really special, and it's really rewarding for us as mushers. It's one of the most special things is working with those young dogs and seeing, seeing that transformation and progression happen. And so I think she's been really enjoying that. Um, and so, yeah, that's what, she, that's what she's been running the last couple of seasons is, was, uh, is yearling dogs. And so we have a very young kennel. And so quite a few young dogs. And the majority of our kennel will be turning four this oh, season. Oh, wow. That is and young. So, 
Yeah, and so those are all the main dogs that I raised with last year. And so I didn't pretty, know that. Yeah, good for you. Really, we had a really good season. Thank you. Wow. And and there were only three, and I keep reminding myself that, and that they're only going to get better, and I'm only going to be adding more superstar dogs of the same caliber to that group of dogs who finishes races. And so I expect wow. our our level of competitiveness just just to keep climbing as 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 our kennel grows and as we as we get better and as the years go by with what we're doing here. Wow. Like, <laughs> I hope listeners know, like, I want, I want to pause here and just let listeners know that, like, dogs finishing, uh, like, a team of majority of, of four-year-old dogs finishing a 300-mile race, like, to me, I think that's huge. That that because yeah. usually you you have a mixture of like your veteran dogs, your adult dogs, and maybe some younger dogs. But to have primarily a team that is of young dogs, like I think that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, and and Mary too. I mean, someone that enjoys running a puppy team. And when I say puppy, you know, usually that's like a two-year-old dog or like a one-year-old yes. dog. Yeah, 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 they're always older than a year and a half. Yeah, they don't, they okay. don't look like puppies anymore. Right, right, but, but uh, in our minds they're puppies, right. and, yeah, and I think they're, they're it's still, yeah, yeah, I think it's Im- impressive that uh, that Mary likes running puppy teams because a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to like musher friends and they're like, oh, this puppy and oh, this <laughs> yeah. dog on the line. So when someone's like willing to run a puppy team i'm just like okay i know that person likes to work hard <laughs> right right <laughs> oh i love that so let, let's keep talking about puppies um you have actual puppy puppies um yeah what they're two weeks old now yeah not quite they'll be two weeks saturday this okay weekend. oh wow and so they're quite young um and we've been wanting to have some puppies this season and we're kind of we're and we're kind of just planning ahead. And this is what mushers need to do for for kind of racing that we need to do is you need to plan ahead for that when the the, the veteran dogs in my in my kennel now who are say seven years old mm. in a couple of years I'm going to be finding them couches to retire on. Yeah. And so I need to be thinking about that now basically so that when the season comes that these dogs are going to be looking for the retirement couch. I have yearlings who are who are ready to go and, and step in and start racing in a yearling team, basically. And so this, this cycle of, of, of keeping your pool of dogs at their peak, basically. Yeah, yeah. So with the puppies you have, I'm sure we could talk about puppies all freaking day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like a high-level overview, that first year of having puppies, what does life for a puppy and like what does training for a puppy look like yeah so i think the main the main idea that i that i try and think about and keep in mind and that we try and do with with the puppies is just is just fun keeping things fun for them it's really important that and i think in a dog's first season that they never have any feelings of like oh this is work or like oh maybe mm. maybe this is a little bit hard and i don't and i'm and maybe i don't i don't want to run as hard anymore yeah so this idea of always keeping it fun but also this idea of of introducing as many different situations to the dog as you can in that period of time and so I talked about going for puppy walks and so on puppy walks we're always thinking about walking through new scenarios where the dogs have to walk on different terrain maybe they are they have to walk underneath something and we're also doing lots of water uh, training and I call it Uh, training but it's really just play really yeah right Um, and I really like the idea um, 
that anything you do with your dog, if you have the mindset for it, is training. And it can be fun, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't, they don't have to think training as being as being hard and difficult, and, and the dog is working hard. But this idea that anytime you're interacting with the dog, anytime you are going out and doing something, that in, that in essence is training. You're training your dog how to react to that situation the next time they're around it, right? And so we're trying to introduce as many situations to these young dogs as we can to let them know, hey, it's fine if you get wet. Hey, it's fine if you go swimming all the way mm-hmm. up to your head and you'll be totally fine. And at the end of it, I'll be here and I'll be here to give you some pets and give you some love and to let you know you did a good job and all those things that young dogs, all dogs, um, really need and want. Uh, they get that a lot when they're young. And so this idea that when they're older, they've encountered many of the things that they will encounter on a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done that in their first year. So like I was saying, that starts with puppy walks and just being really gentle and going on little strolls through the woods to the point where they are bigger in the fall time later this year and say freeze up happens and where we're going for walks in really cold water and they're, mm. and they're walking through cold water and I'm, and I'm getting them to do that and I'm doing it with them with my rubber boots on and they're learning like, hey, this isn't the best thing on my feet, but hey, it's okay because it's temporary. Yeah. And at the end of it, we're going to be fine. We're going to go home <laughs> with our master. We're going to have a meal like we always do, and we're going to get some pets, and it's all great, and it's all fine. Yeah. And so that first year, that's what I think about. I think about them having fun, and I mm. think about it introducing as many new experiences as I can in a good way so that they are happy and that they want to see those things, those encounter those situations with you in the future, which is going to be in the harness most likely when mm-hmm. they're running down the trail, and so that they have the confidence to do that. Um, and then towards the end of that year, they, depending on the litter and when they were born and all those things, they start to get into harness for their first time. And I, I generally wait a little longer than many mushers do to get dogs in harness. And a lot of times they're over a year by the time I'm getting them in for the first time. And the idea behind that, again, is just is just fun. Not wanting to introduce something to them too soon um, and just keeping them puppies as long as possible, enjoying life, just running around, having fun, uh, being a puppy. Yeah, uh, and so. I, I think everything you just said easily like copy and paste and applies to like pet dogs too. Yeah, for sure. Just having exposure to all the things and just learning how to like coexist around other creatures, other people, other environments. And I think just having that fun and not being serious creates, just organically creates a confident dog. For sure. Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. And we'll probably talk about this idea a bit later, but I'm, I'm a very strong believer in, and, and this idea about how and the energy that you have around you as the human, as the musher or the dog owner or whatever it might be, has huge impacts on the dog. Oh, 100%. More, more, than, more than I think that we'll ever really know or acknowledge. And I think about that in racing a lot when I'm racing in the sense that the better I am at being there, the more in shape I am, the happier I am, it all rubs off on the dogs, right? And so I think in a lot of example of training a young dog and going to the dog park, if the dog owner itself themselves is stressed mm-hmm. and anxious, that's going to come off on the dog and the dog's going to sense that they're going to say, Hey, my, my, my two legged is, is stressed and anxious. And that's going to make them as a result, stressed and anxious when they're going into that new situation. And so this idea that we as humans have to really train ourselves to be the best 
trainer and owners that we ha can be for our dogs. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't acknowledge in themselves is that, hey, in order for me to do best by my dog, I need to improve myself and look at your own internal way of being and who you are and the way that you present your energy to the world and to the dogs is really important. Right. I, I, I agree 100%. When, when I'm dog training and I'm working with either a current client or a brand new client, it, I always tell them, like, if I can see frustration rising or any other kind of emotion, I'm like, uh-oh, pause. Check yeah. yourself before you wreck yourself, okay? Yeah, yeah for sure. Because <laughs> yeah, sure. that energy, it goes right down the leash. It goes right totally. down the gang line. Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't matter, like, what modality of of working dog you have or a pet yeah, dog yeah. you have th that energy like it, it is, is going to travel to the dog and like you said For the dog's sure. going to be on alert like oh what the heck is going on yeah that's right um and without getting too scientific just to help people learn like dogs can smell that change in hormones in our bodies totally. yeah um yeah, yeah. It, that's how they know um so i i feel like you know, I used to be such like a perfectionist kind of person, um, kind of on edge kind of person. And it wasn't until I started getting more and more and more dogs that um, I've just become a lot more like grounded and calm and patient because you really don't have a choice. Oh, well, right. I mean, I guess you do have a choice, but maybe mm. being more calm and patient and grounded, you're going to have a lot more success. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, okay, you've been racing for quite a while. How long, like, have you been racing? How did you get into racing? How did you get into mushing? Yeah, so... The way that I, re I remember it, and so I got into mushroom when I was a kid, and I was really fortunate to have that yeah, part, no of kidding. My, part of my upbringing, and yeah. I totally acknowledge that as an adult. And maybe I didn't when I was when I was happening to me as a kid, um, as things go, but um, I, I was 11 at the time, and uh, I think I mentioned it earlier just about how, how I grew up in a very land-based lifestyle where I spent lots of time outside, and my parents took us on extended canoe trips for up to three weeks at a time. Oh, when, wow. When me, when me and my siblings were all infants, like like many, many babies and multi-week canoe trips up to Hudson Bay Coast and things like that. So I grew up very um, connected to land and, and doing things outdoors. Um, yeah, so I started watching, spending time outdoors and doing things on the land. And so my dad was, was a big driver in all of that, uh, making those things happen. Um, and when I was 11, I have this memory of sitting at the dinner table and my dad asking us, the kids, me and my brother and sister, about, hey, do we want to get, should we, should we get a snowmobile or get a team of sled dogs? And I remember me and my siblings were all like, let's get a snowmobile. Because <laughs> our, our buddies had skidoos and we, we used to have an old beater skidoo, but it always broke down and we used to love driving it around. <laughs> um, and I, we all said, let's get snowmobiles. And, and, and what I remember next was just that my dad started getting dogs and there was, there was dogs around. And that was kind of like, he asked us, but then I think he had it in his mind that he's not getting a different snowmobile and he's in fact wants to get sled dogs for his kids to, <laughs> your dad to, to your dad sounds outdoors. awesome <laughs> yeah and um so we started out really small and it was always just a really recreational thing um uh, for for us and and my dad just wanting to to have another venue for his kids to spend time outdoors in the winter time and so we got two puppies from one local musher and two 
uh, adult veteran dog from another musher and kind of started from there. And so that was, yeah, way back in the 90s and um, have been kind of mushing ever since. And there was a good few years after high school where I moved away and was traveling and went to college um, where I was didn't run dogs regularly, where I was kind of just visiting home in the wintertime once or twice. Um, but, but always felt that was something that I, that I really missed in my life was being around the dogs. And after, um, be, or when, once we knew that kids were in the picture and, um, I knew I wanted to live back home and wasn't going to be doing some of the other things like climbing mountains that I was doing a lot of that time in my life. And I knew I really wanted to get back into running dogs. And so moving back home to Sioux Lookout, um, probably around 15 years ago, um, deciding that I wanted to to keep mushing and to use, and to to do more than just use the dogs recreationally. Um, this was um, when I was in, and so started to grow the kennel and for a good few years was was operating the the um, my kind of self-employed business um, called On the Land and did a range of outdoor programming throughout the year um, with canoeing being the main activity in the summer and and dog sledding in the winter. Um, then as years went by, I decided I was invited to go to a distance race in 2012 um, by another fellow musher, a good friend named Burton Penner. Uh, and I kind of attribute me being where I am racing right now to him and asking me and just just putting the putting the question out there if I wanted to go and run the Hudson Bay Quest, which is a race that's probably not going to be happening anymore yeah. in, its, in its original format, which is very unfortunate. Right. But it's a race that goes from Gillum to Churchill. That's a cool that race. Yeah, it was a very cool race. And it was the only one of its kind around where it was very uns, unsupported, where you had to carry all your supplies the whole way. And there was only one dog drop. Yeah, um, it's like the, super wildernessy. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So in the, in the eyes of like distance racing, it was it was a very um, difficult race. Um, and that's where I kind of got kind of kind of got my started in my my uh, in distance racing. And so um, that was in 20, I know I raced the Hudson Bay Quest three times in 2012. 2013 and 2015 and then took a five-year break from racing from 2015 to 2020 uh, where I went back when I went and ran, ran the Canadian Challenge for the first time in 2020 and I've kind of been and running one or two one to three races every season since 20 um, since 2020 um, I guess not in the COVID year there but um, but yeah, so kind of restarted again in 2020 with the distance racing yeah. and really hope to be doing more of it. So this year you ran the marathon or the John Bear Grease uh, yep. sled dog marathon and you were a rookie. And yep. for people that don't know, technically you're a rookie, even if you've done it before, but you're not a, or you lose the name rookie once you've finished yeah, and, and you, yep. you finished this year. And I was like, I was just so fucking stoked. Like it yeah. <laughs> just watching you throughout the race. Like that was just such a treat. So what did, what did it feel like to, you know, finish this year like that's a huge feat yeah it was a huge feat for me uh and i think for any musher in general to be to finish the the marathon is yeah. a really big big goal for sure um and it was it was really special for me because like you mentioned and you're alluding to that i was a rookie this year but i had ran it the year before in 2022 in scratch 
in Trail Center. But 2022 was, was like a mess of a race. It was so hot out. Yeah. Like, there I was, don't blame yeah. anyone for scratching. Yeah, yeah. there was over half the field scratched. That exactly. Year, right? I, I exactly. wasn't the only one. No. Yeah. Yeah, so so I had a, a really great experience there. I felt like I learned a lot, um, and I was racing, trying to race a competitive schedule with my team, who was, as we were talking about, then two, because this this past winter they were three, and um, and ended up scratching. And so to come back this past winter in 2023 after a scratch and after um, training really hard and putting a lot of work into getting the dogs in shape to be there to have a good finish, my second time running and to finish um, as well as we did was was really special for me for sure. Um, no after kidding. scratching, after yeah, after scratching last uh, two years ago, I I stuck around the race and I went to the last two checkpoints at at, uh, at Devil's Track Lake and at Mineral Center there and watched teams leave mm. uh, and then and then hung around the finish and watched the finish and so I was part of the race last that first year the whole time and that really solidified my my motivation for like next year when I come here, I want to be part of this and not just watching on the yeah. sidelines. Yeah, yeah, you kind of got to study a little bit, I would yeah, think. Yeah, for sure, and that that was part of it too, for sure, was to keep those things in mind. And so, to finish this year was was really special for sure. And and we haven't talked about it yet, but John Berggris was a an Anishinaabe man, yeah, an indigenous mail carrier who carried mail along the North Shore of Lake Superior. And I myself and I'm an indigenous man from Northern mm -hmm. Ontario who is also Anishinaabe. And so to come and run this race as the as the only Anishinaabe musher in the field uh, and to finish in good standings, it felt really good for sure. And it was something that was really, really special to me, definitely. Lots of listeners are outdoorsy dog people, whether they too are like a musher or recreationally skijor or they are through hikers or doing anything on the water, how can we be cognizant and conscientious of the land that we are on? And how can, or how does that like tie into your kennel name on the land? Yeah. So, so the, so the kennel name on the land, and I mentioned that a, a bit earlier was, a, was an extension of, of, kind of the business name that I registered to, to do some of my self-employment work. And mm -hmm. it's a phrase on the land that's very common with indigenous people and indigenous groups. Um, and it's a phrase that has, has different meanings for different people. But, but for me, and I think kind of some of the general ideas about it are this idea of connection to the land and going out and spending time in nature, um, whether, it's, whether it's just a, a walk or whether it's going on berry picking, or whether it's mushing your 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 dogs, or or, or your or ski joring with your dog through the forest, or going for a paddle, this idea of creating connection to the land around you, and recognizing the the importance and the value of the land around us, and so the kennelima on the land was kind of an extension of that, and so we we called it on the land sled dogs and. And the sled dogs are basically, for me, as an Anishinaabe person, it's another avenue for me to connect with with the land around you, me and the land that my ancestors have been on for thousands and thousands of years around in this area. Um, as a as an Anishinaabe person, I feel like dog sledding and mushing is is part of who I am and it's part of my being as a person. And so, so naming the kennel 
on the land as is just it's just an extension of of who I am and and the lifestyle that I live, the way that I try and raise my kids, being spending time out out on the land, and what I try this idea that I try and share with people about how I feel like all of all of all of human all of humanity would be better if we went out and spent more time out on the land and, and created connection with the natural world around us. And that's that goes for people living in rural areas as well as people living in, in big cities. And, yeah. Um, getting to know the land around you. And you, you, you talked about um, what can what can people do? And I think I think for for many people, um, especially people uh, with with settler backgrounds to 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 acknowledge and to, to learn about the land that you live on and to learn about the indigenous people who lived on that land prior to colonization mm-hmm. and to acknowledge that mm-hmm. and to to take those little steps of learning in your own way about what is who lived on this land and maybe even learning ab- about projects and programs that are happening mm-hmm. to try and preserve the 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 world around you and and little things like that i think are really important um and so i think that's something that all people can do if they're not already aware of that is to acknowledge and to to respect and to pay um tribute to to the to the land and traditional people who lived on that land prior to uh, colonization right yeah i love that so much i i think us humans um, just as a whole, I think majority of us are so disconnected from nature. And I right. think simply teaching ourselves and just being open-minded to learning about land acknowledgement, I think that's a great step on how to be a little bit more conscientious and aware of the land that we're on. And like you said, yeah. it can, that applies to everyone, you know, yeah. that, that applies to, uh, you know, I live in White Bear Lake and this is a very um, indigenous name for a town. Right. And I'm like, well, there has to be a reason why it's named that. And, right, you know, right. just simply like doing little research like that, like, okay, right. this is where my house is at. Well, whose, whose land was this before I moved in or before right, all the right. settlers did what they did. Right. Um, so a little bit ago, you said, you know, you're the only indigenous man in the Bear Grease race this year. And, you know, I think these are kind of like maybe uncomfortable conversations that us humans need to keep having. Um, I feel like mushing as a whole has just become kind of a whitewashed sport. Um in terms of like racing. Uh, so do you see the future of like mushing, maybe including more indigenous teams at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly love that idea, Brittany. And it's something that I feel like I personally can can try and contribute more to, to try and getting more mushing happening from from indigenous people in my area and i'm always trying to do programming with 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 the school in our in our town here yeah um, that's so cool yeah to get more young people exposed to the to the idea of mushing um obviously we have our two kids and and they they get out mushing um as much as we can uh with them but um i feel like 
the history of colonization in this country, in, and I, I think it's pretty similar in the states there, that um, the, the, pro, the, the, pro, the protocols and the, and the um, things that were put into place when colonization and when North America was being settled, all of those, those practices and those things were designed to take the indigenous people off the land yeah. and put them onto reservations, right? right, right. And, and a big part of that was taking away any, any connection to the land that they had because the more indigenous people you had out, out in different places in the land, it harder, the harder it was to re, uh, extract resources. And so they wanted mm. to put indigenous people on small plots of land in very undesirable plots of land right. to have them there so that they had free reign of all of the resources and all of the other areas. And so a big part of that was taking away that connection to the land. And I think that there's very clear examples of that in, in, in northern Canada where there was mass calls of Inuit people's sled dogs mm. to get them off the land, to take away their way of traveling in the wintertime and to take away their way of feeding themselves in the wintertime as a form of colonization and getting mm -hmm. these indigenous people off the land. And so this idea of encouraging more indigenous people into mushing, I feel like is absolutely crucial. I feel mm -hmm. like it needs to happen. And I feel like it's, a, it's an important thing to happen. And there's no one one solution to it. Right. I feel like these type of changes happen in many, many small steps, mm -hmm. like having a conversation about it like we're doing right now and bringing more awareness of this topic to people who might not be aware of it, yeah. who might have grow up, grown up in a, in a setting where they don't get exposed to the ideas because no one around them is talking about them, right? Um, and so just taking the time to chat about it is, is important, I think. And so, yeah. yeah, I agree. Like, you know, growing up, um, you know, as, as, a, as a white person, um, I grew up in a very racist household. Um, and like, that's like so embarrassing to say, but it's true. And I just m remember like being a little kid and, and just like hearing comments and uh -huh. hearing like slurs and whatnot about any race that wasn't white. And I just remember being just like this little person and I'm like, this is bad. I don't know why yeah. it's bad, but this is bad. I don't know any yeah. better, but this is bad. And now that I'm, you know, an adult and we, we still live in this crazy world. It, it's like doing all this, this learning of the things you weren't exposed to when you were right. little, you know, when yeah. you were a kiddo. Um, and I, yeah, I think it is important to like have these crucial conversations. And like you said, you know, it's, it's like one grain of sand at a time that, that yeah. makes a beach and, and these conversations like are making a difference. Um, yeah. and I love that, like you, you do the sled dog rides with the schools and, and educate them. Like, I think that's what attracted me to like on the land. And that, that's really what made me a huge fan of you guys and your kennel and, um, I, I hope that like more and more mushers start to do, you know, take a little bit of time out of out of their busy seasons to yeah. to be proactive and 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 have those yeah. educational pieces with the kiddos as much as they can and adults too. Totally, you yeah. know, 
Yeah. 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 I think those, I think sharing what we do with mushing and just like you're doing with, with all the work you're doing, Brittany is, is, is so important, right? It's the only way that, that mushing is going to continue. There is such a small niche group of people doing it. Yeah. Um, and we all know about some of the, some of the viewpoints of mushing that aren't mm-hmm. so positive that you see on online. Right. And we need to be out there present and showing the reality, which is which is very different than some of the other things you see online about it, right? Uh, about mushing, and so we need to be very present and showing and say, saying that we're we're here and we're doing this and we are doing this in a good way, and it's clear because you can see it in our animals that this is right. this is a positive thing, and if you can't see that, well, that's that's something that you're bringing to the discussion. That, in your own eyes that that's it's not going to change no matter what I do right it's correct it's, it's, people already have their own viewpoints and and so but there are people's opinions I feel like that we can change and and impact and so continuing this work is so important for sure yeah I think like one example that can help like switch people's tune on mushing is a lot of times people will ask me like oh my gosh how do sled dogs you know live to be 15, 16, 17 years old. Right. Because they're living the life they're supposed to. Like they're they're <laughs> yeah. they're likely more taken care of than the humans that own them, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um so I always give that as an example and I, I think that really helps keep people a little bit more open minded. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So I wanna switch gears here for a second. So yep. As I got to watch you through Bear Grease, so I, I was um, I was on the board. I recently uh, resigned from the board, but while I was on it, mm-hmm. um, I went from checkpoint to checkpoint. I, I I saw you at almost every checkpoint, and I have to ask, how the hell do you stay so positive and so focused? <laughs> like that was like such a treat to observe. Um, yeah. Like I try not to really. Uh, talk to the mushers at checkpoints uh-huh. um, because you guys have enough people talking to you. You're trying yeah. to get enough or too much done in too little a time um, and try to like take care of yourself. Um, so I, I really just stand back and watch. And I right. noticed like from checkpoint to checkpoint, like your handling team, uh, yourself, your dogs, and when, okay, let's mention this too, when Mary got the, done with the 120, she handled for you up to yeah, the finish, sure. like, what yeah. a badass. Like, yeah, no kidding, she had like a two hour nap. And yeah. Then, like, put, on her, put on her handler cap. And yeah, like, no kidding, I mean, good lord, good for her. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I remember watching, and I was like so thoroughly exhausted, because I, I too didn't, sleep very much because I'm just following along the race, making sure things are going smoothly right, and right. troubleshooting behind the scenes things as we move along. So one thing that I, I just really enjoyed about watching your team is that you're, you're, you're so freaking positive and you're so focused. Like, how do you maintain that through 300 miles? Like, I remember <laughs> watching you leaving Mineral Center and you're going up to the, the chute and uh, you're like, all right, boys and girls, one more time. And I'm like, 
how though? I'm like, I am falling asleep right now and I'm not even driving dogs. So just how? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think there's just one, one answer as to how. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell some stories maybe as to try and answer your question. But I feel like, um, a big part of the how is, is me recognizing the impact that I have on my dogs. And, and not, that's not to say I'm, for, I'm, I'm not, I'm not forcing that. But I'm very conscious of that. Yeah, I can tell. Especially in a race. A race is absolutely so crucial to keep that upbeat attitude because it impacts your dog. I don't know how many times I've seen mushers leave checkpoints where it's okay to be tired, but to show it so visibly to your dogs. I never understood that. It's like, Mm. just try and hold it in a bit, put on a a bit of a face Mm -hmm. and... um, but the dogs can tell too, part of it too, somewhat I think. So there's only so much you can fake. I yeah. feel like with the dogs. Oh, totally. The other, they know. The other, yeah. The other aspect <laughs> of that is that I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, absolutely love, being outdoors yeah. and pushing myself physically. Totally. So I, I do. I've done some very long canoe trips and on my own, and I and I, I do some bike packing trips and I like pushing myself physically to the right. point where I'm very very exhausted and tired and my body is screaming at me to stop and I enjoy that and so that's something that I do myself on my own time personally for fun right I think they call uh, it secondary fun <laughs> that's right yeah and so and so I'm very lucky that I'm I I'm I have that background that that allows me to be okay in those situations because I've been there lots where I've I put myself in that situation where I'm really tired and I've, I've been on my feet for a few days in a row now and I've slept very little but it's, you have to keep going. And so I think that, and I came, I mentioned that idea about training yourself as the musher, and that's part of it as well, is recognizing that all these other things that I do in my side life, besides mushing, are, are essentially training me to become a better musher. Totally. Because I'm, I'm more fit. I'm able to stay on my feet longer without feeling tired. And I can, um, even training sleep exhaustion, that's, that's crucial in my mind for distance mm-hmm. racing. You alluded mm-hmm. to the fact that we're all sleep deprived. Every one of us in, there in the race, whether it's the handlers, the volunteers, and, and the racers, we're all lacking sleep. And so the better that you can handle that situation, the better of a musher you're going to be. And it's going to impact the dogs. And it's not just being better yourself, because the better you are, the better your team is. And so I keep all of those things in mind. Um, when I'm with the dogs and when I'm living my life and, and doing the things that I'm doing because I'm, I want to, I want to do better and I want to yeah. keep improving. And I'm, and I think you could probably tell that I'm, I'm a competitive person, but I'm more mm-hmm. competitive with myself 100%. Than, than anyone else. I want to keep bettering what I did the last time. And if that, if that's enough to, 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 to get me to win races, well, that's great. But if not, I'm still happy just to see mm. that progression of improving. And I, right. and I, and I, and I, I've seen that over the last few years and it feels really good to see that. Um, it just kind of becomes like your lifestyle, right? Yeah, like yeah, you're just, sure. you are like just naturally this, this positive person. And, you know, earlier we, we said, um, you know, our energy goes down the line to the dogs and they yeah, pick it up totally. too. But I think, you know, the energy between us, you know, like energy is energy. I don't care what form it is, but yeah. the energy from, from you totally went to me at Mineral Center. It was crazy. <laughs> like I, rem- I remember it like it was 10 minutes ago and mm-hmm. 
like, I just remember being exhausted and just thinking like, okay, I can sit down and uh, later tonight for a second. (laughs) And like, you were just like so jazzed and so amped when you left the shoot. And like, I just like took that energy and I was just like so motivated. I'm like, hell yeah. Like, let's get to Grand Portage. Like, I don't know. I left Mineral Center and I'm like, walking on air i'm like okay i feel good i feel revitalized like let's keep going (laughs) um so i yeah yeah that's i'm really glad to hear that yeah and you just reminded me of another reason why i was so in such a good mindset Mm -hmm. leaving mineral center was because of the fact that two the year prior i was there with my dogs in the trailer already and i had scratched yeah and, and i had told myself that next year I'm going to be here and I want to be leaving this place with my dog team and finishing this race. I love that. And I I told myself that so strongly. Yeah. Um, And I I took my bib away from that last year, 20 in 2022. And then I had it hanging in my living room Mm. and and I literally looked at it every day (laughs) between the bear graces. and, And as a reminder of my main goal for the next year, which was to finish the bear grease in good standing. Well, I appreciate uh, your tenacity. My God, that yeah. yeah. I love so, that. To, so to so to be there this year, this past winter, with my dog team slamming in their harnesses, it, it felt so good. It was like this amazing feeling of accomplishment, of sharing so much mm. amazing time with my dogs to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a whole, it was a whole accumulation of things that resulted in that that vibe of leaving Mineral Center for sure. Yeah, and and I'd say too, like I almost forgot, like when you guys pulled in to the finish, I helped bring you guys to your yeah. trailer, and yeah. Jesse, your dogs are like freaking wild animals. Like <laughs> I was like just trying to guide them, yeah, like yeah. where we're going, and I'm like, oh my god these dogs are going to run me over. These dogs are not done yet. Like they, <laughs> yeah. they wanted to keep going. And I was like, yeah, I was yeah. just so impressed by that. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh God. Um, I, I, and I just realized I need to acknowledge another reason why things are going so well. That whole race at the Bear Grease was my handling crew. And so oh, you, yeah. mentioned, you mentioned my wife, Mary took over or, or jumped in and started handling once she was done the Bear Grease. But yeah. prior to that, I had um, a team of three handlers, a father and daughter, um, from Sue Lookout, who have really, really stepped up and joined our team with this amazing supportive role mm. of wanting to be around the dogs, helping out as much as they can. Um, the daughter is is really interested in in, in, start, in getting into mushing when she's older, and I mm-hmm. think she said things like wanting to become a vet after spending time with us and our dogs. And so we have this really amazing supportive um, father and daughter, BJ and Kendall, who are from Sioux Lookout, who joined us and who are absolutely rock stars. And Kendall's 12, and so she's 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 a kid, right? And she did so amazing handling. And in the middle of the night, um, doing chores for my team and things like this, when most 12-year-olds should be sleeping, and, and her dad decided to bring her to come to this race to, to handle for us. And it was so special to have the two of them there. Yeah. Um, and the other handler was was a musher friend who works at a, at a dog sledding operation in Ely named Kasha. And, oh, right, um, right, yeah. Yeah, and so she 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 handled for me the prior year when I scratched and got to know my team and asked asked again in the fall last year if she can handle again for, for the next year. And I said, absolutely. It would, be a, it would be great to have you along again. And so she is really, really awesome at working with the dogs and finding out 
what each dog needs in terms of massage or mm-hmm. food combos to get this dog fueled up again mm. and, and moving down the trail again. And so having that handler team was af- absolutely crucial for for the for the vibe and the positivity that the team was exuding as well. No kidding. I um oh by the time I got to Grand Portage, I, I don't remember timelines very much because my brain just had very little juice left. But yeah, I yeah. I think we were we were still waiting for you to come into the shoot or or maybe it was after, I don't remember. But I did get to spend a good amount of time uh talking to BJ and yeah. um and then Kendall, she she came up in the into the conversation um at some point too and like what a cool kid. Yeah. Like she yeah. I, I mean, like what a strong kid too. She was just so happy and excited and like motivated and it was so cool to like see that like inspiration in someone so young and like the the genuine and authentic like supportive kindness that just like poured out of bj i was just like wow like you have the best handling team (laughs) yeah yeah for sure So that that was really cool to be able to connect with them for a little yeah, bit. Awesome. And yeah, awesome. They were they were just so excited and had nothing but great things to say about you and Mary and the dogs and the experience. Yeah. Um, so I have uh, one more question for you. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of going backwards a little bit. That's I want to okay. talk about harnesses. Yeah. I remember watching you and I was like, what is that? I've never right. seen that before. So traditionally, or is that the word I want to use? Uh, yeah, sure. M- most people are using an X-back or like you would m- more commonly see an X-back. Yeah. Tell us what your system looks like. Yeah, so there, there's a few different names for the style of harness, and I can't, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce the indigenous name, but there's, there's an indigenous name for the style of harnesses mm. that comes from up in, like, really remote Siberia and Alaska. Um, oh. And it's a chest harness, basically. Um, the other name for it was a sepla harness, I think, that oh. the manufacturer called it. Mm. I've been calling them a chest harness just because it's easier for me to remember, and I'm not mispronouncing any name. I yeah. should learn how to say the name. Um, but it's a it's a harness that has no strap that goes through the dog's front legs. Yeah, yeah. And there's no there's no chest piece on the on the harness, and there's one big strap that goes across the front mm-hmm. of the dog's chest below there below their neck. And I'm sure I'm sure that people who study mushing and look at dog sledding photos they'll they'll notice that. Many of the photos you see of a dog in an X-back harness when they're slamming at the start line, that center strap is mm-hmm. not where it should be. Sure. It's not sitting in the dog's center of their chest. It's typically to one side mm. or the other of their deep chest riding closer up into their armpits. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the big things that these harnesses are good for is they prevent any kind of uh, armpit or a rub under the dog's arm, which for a distance dog, which is running lots of miles, Throughout the season, some dogs are prone to getting harness rub, and you have to manage that with rub shirts and changing harnesses and things like that. Whereas this harness, it pretty much eliminates that completely. It's one of their one of their benefits. Um, another benefit of the the style of harness that uh, that I chose to use this year and will continue to to race with and use um, is that it takes the pressure off the dog's back hips. And oh. there's a, there's a common common 
um, situation where if a dog has a harness and some dogs do it regardless of what harness they're wearing mm -hmm. whether it's properly fitted or not is what I'm getting at um, they'll crab and so when a dog crabs they kind of run with their butt sticking out right, right. and I'm sure you've seen it and mm -hmm. any musher who's listening will probably have seen it or, or, or witness a dog that crabs and you're just trying to wonder how do I stop this dog from crabbing you switch mm. sides you change harnesses they all seem to maybe do nothing or just help a little bit with this dog's crabbing problem mm -hmm. in my experience anyway um where and with these these chest harnesses because they take the pressure off the hips the the which is the reason that one of the main reasons why a dog crabs it eliminates that so a dog that crabs that has has issues problems pulling straight it'll instantly straighten them out and make them pull straight and so that's another huge benefit of these harnesses um, those first two things rub and taking the weight off the back hips are things in my mind that can prevent injuries during the course of a long marathon or a distance or mid-distance race right if a dog is uncomfortable and, and compensating in, in any little minor way even if it's just a little minor one for a long period of time that's in my opinion going to most likely result in some kind of a strain or an injury in that dog um, and if I can choose a piece of equipment which is going to eliminate that or reduce it, then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, another big reason why I like these harnesses, and I think it's a reason why many mushers don't like these harnesses, is the fact that the dog cannot pull as hard in a chest harness. It's not as ergonomic. Mm. There's not as much surface area and padding to pull into for the dog. And in my mind, in distance racing, that's a positive. Yeah, I why, agree. Why, why do I want these dogs to pull as hard as they absolutely can when I'm riding on the brake for most of the race? Yeah, it, right. It, it doesn't make sense to me to ask the dog to, to work as hard as they, they possibly can, only to be riding the brake the whole time. Right. So if I can choose a harness that's going to help that process as well, that's going to facilitate them pulling a little bit less, Hmm. then that makes sense to me too because they're only going to have more energy later right. in the race because they haven't expelled as much energy because it doesn't feel as good pulling and slamming into this harness like it does an x back interesting um and so for me it's like i don't mind running up hills like i'm i'm, I'm fairly fit yeah um i've heard that from so many different distance mushers about oh it takes the power out of the dog and i was like well how much power do you need it's like mm, yeah uh, and fair I don't, enough I, I don't get that <laughs> rationale right so for me it's it's this idea of always trying to improve, always trying to do better by my dog, and that should be even before trying to improve. I'm trying to always do better for my dog. I'm trying to improve, and I'm trying to do it in a way that um, gets me across the finish line as fast as we can. And, and so I've I've come to believe that this harness it might help with that and and i'm not saying that in five years i'm going to be running these harnesses still because maybe i've learned something new in that time right um, prior to this year running these harnesses i was running spreader bars mm, and extract harnesses and so the idea that the spreader bar can help straighten some dog's angle of pull out as well and i think if i wasn't using a chest harness i would still be using a spreader bar um, and looking at even dog uh, harness x-backs with the sticks in them to to keep the weight off the dog's hips right that that keeps the pull the point of attachment lower on the dogs so it's not pulling down on the dog's hips yeah um, that makes sense and, yeah and so there's different style of chest harnesses that are out there um 
it's really interesting too to know that four of the top 10 Iditarod teams are running chest harnesses now. So it's not just it's not mm. just me trying something totally new. Right. And I've chatted I've chatted with three of those mushers um, who have who have achieved the top four in the Iditarod, and and because I'm always asking other mushers about what they do and how they do things and why they do things, because I'm always trying to improve. So I think that there is there is something to these harnesses that's really catching on and, and has benefit to the dog and it's going to be neat to see if if more people move in that direction um i'll just do a shout out i give i got my harnesses from deb at windigo outfitters oh i was really gonna great. ask okay she's really she's really great to work with and I, I was gonna ask her ahead of time if she's okay with a shout out and i hope she is um but she makes really great harnesses and i was really happy with those chest harnesses and i feel like they were were attributed to some of the success we had last winter frame. Well, thank you for the harness information. I, I have some research to do now. Like I've, yeah. I've seen them. I saw them on your dogs and now yeah. I'm, I'm really curious. Like I'm always just looking at like the ergonomics of, yeah, for of sure. gear and yep. what I, I think like all dogs are just so different and like every sure. team is so different. Yep, yep. So like, you know, I, I joke that like three mushers walk into a bar and they agree on nothing. Yeah, um. <laughs> totally. I'm really glad. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I wanted to step back and say like, just because this is working for me doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone, right? Totally. I would. I wouldn't suggest buying a whole lot of these harnesses <laughs> and, and 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 putting them in and decide and only to decide you don't like them, right? Right. I I I started with a few of those harnesses and 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 tried them on different dogs and decided to get more from there, right? Yeah. And I and I learned from, and so. With mushing, like I was saying, I always try and chat with different people to learn right. from different people and decide what works for you. Because just because one thing works for one musher doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Yeah, and I think that applies to like dog training too. Like totally. I'll have, yeah. I'll have clients, you know, that have been longtime clients and like just really loyal and great people, and and they'll be like, oh, Brittany, like, is it okay with you if I go and you know work with this other trainer? And I'm like absolutely like right. please yeah. do yeah, like yeah, i don't sure. know everything like yeah. i like yeah like you said you yeah, have let to let me know what you learn yeah. exactly oh 100 percent. like i yeah, i want yeah. people to go and yeah, talk yeah. to other people yeah that's yeah. the only way we improve ourselves because we don't we totally. certainly don't know everything yeah. um yeah well jesse thank you so much this was so great to just be able to sit down and talk dog with you, talk yeah. shop. Um, I think we had a lot of great conversations just now that I think are going to help everyone in whatever way that is listening. Um, so big shout out to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. I can't wait to see you guys, you and Mary, um, or even the kiddos and the puppies. Like I'm so excited to, to, uh, keep following you guys as a fan and I'll probably see you at some races this coming season. Um, is there anyone you want to thank really quick friends, family, sponsors, anything like that? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you first, Brittany, for this, oh, gosh, for this, thanks. For this, for this <laughs> opportunity. It's, it's, it's really fun. And I, I certainly always enjoy chatting dogs um, with people. And so just, just miigwech for the opportunity. Um, I think, like you were saying, these things really need to happen. And so I'm, I, I see what you're doing as a really positive thing to to share this world of mushing with, with people who might not get exposed to it. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, I want to thank my lovely wife, Mary England, for for just living this life with me and, and, and jumping in 
head first into the, to the dog mushing world. Um, she's been mushing for a relatively short period of time and her learning curve is not really a curve, I tell people. It's pretty much just straight up and she handles it all with such style and, 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 I, and I just want to say thanks to her. Right on. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thank you, adventurers, for listening to this episode of the North Paws Wilderness. If you have a dog diary story you'd like to be read on air or a suggestion of who to have as a guest, please email northpawspod, that's northpawspod at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media. Until next time, happy trails and tell your dog I said hi.